Well, guys, welcome back to the James Gang Bible Study. Bringing the word to us tonight is Mr. Tom Willis, who will tell us a little bit more about himself. I know he's a man of God, and him and his mother have been coming to church here as of last year faithfully. And Tom is in the business of providing health insurance for missionaries, as well as importing cigars for Americans. And so, Tom, I'm going to pray and turn it to you. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to meet together again around the book of James. We ask that your Holy Spirit would enable us to understand, and Lord, empower Tom to proclaim and to teach. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Tom. Pastor, I'd like to say thank you for the privilege. Um, You don't always get asked often to teach, so when you do, I highly recommend that you embrace it. But that's a that's a personal choice of mine. <clears throat> I've had a bit of a scratchy throat, so I'll try to speak loud. I I know I can, so but it uh, may have to clear my throat occasionally. So I apologize in advance. Um, before I go into the lesson, I would like to offer a prayer uh, to our Lord God in uh, heaven, Your Majesty, who sits on <clears throat> the most magnificent throne of mercy, with our intercessor, our Savior. Jesus, at your right hand, may your Holy Spirit lead and guide my words tonight so that the seed is found in fruitful soil and rich soil that our members of the James Gang may harvest plenty, Lord, and that you may see fit to say whatever that you deem necessary. In the name of Jesus, I ask this. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> and uh, come in, come in. So uh, I gave everybody a handout. We've been gone, as Pastor says, we've been gone for a little bit of time, and it. Uh, and I know that most of y'all have no idea who I am, other than having seen me around and maybe know my name. Uh, my background, I'll, I'll start as a uh, as we've been talking about. I was actually born in California on Marine Corps base. My dad was a drill instructor, and he was one of those that uh, everyone hated to get because he would—he was going to make sure that uh, you became a Marine, whether you want, whether you knew that you wanted to when you went in or not. When you graduated, you became a Marine. <clears throat> He's still alive at 82 years of age and lives out west. Um, God bless him. <clears throat> he uh, and he—he uh, has not left much of the Corps behind. <laughs> Even though he's been out for oh, a good fifty years, it, uh, but he uh, his lessons were well learned, uh, and uh, he actually attends church and and does and that. My mom um, lives here in Granbury, and she attends generations also. She uh, she loves the word. I was saved when I was seventeen and sixteen. Uh, it was over at Mesquite High School. <clears throat> and it um Vietnam War was blazing hot and heavy, the draft was on. Uh I was rather a little rebellious, needless to say. And uh I remember one of the first things I that happened when I was saved is, you know, I really don't want to be told what to do all my <laughs> life. So, uh, being that, I got my draft card, and it had a two-digit number on it, and Dallas County was pulling 300 people a month into the draft for the Vietnam in 1972, 
I figured I would uh, just kind of bypass that and go down and take the Marine Corps exam to be an officer. And so I did at the uh, my senior year in high school. They thought I scored very, very well, and they accepted me to go straight to OCS out of high school if I went to college. And I said, okay, that's fine. Well, my only question is, is who's going to pay for college, me or you? And uh, given the options, I chose to pay for my own college. It was a shorter tour, and uh, but it, I enjoyed it much. So <clears throat> at the ripe old age of 20, I uh, broke my back in the Corps, spent a year in the hospital, learning to walk again, and uh, which precluded riding in the rodeos out in Mesquite. It precluded uh, running for exercise. There's a few other you know, sports that I don't get to do, but I do get to play golf. I do get to scuba dive. I can walk without uh, any encumbrances, and I'm uh, very appreciative of God for that year of my 20 for me to be able to walk again because it uh, it was because of him, not because of me. And he made that very, very clear. <clears throat> um, baptized in the Holy Spirit at 26. Didn't know what it was. Had never really heard about the Holy Spirit growing up. It wasn't part of the Baptist church. The missionary Baptist church, the really conservative, almost foot-washing missionary Baptist church, <laughs> they, the Holy Spirit was something that Paul and them did back at Pentecost. <clears throat> So um, it was an educational ride. I will tell you now that the book of James uh, not only speaks to me, but there are days that it screams at me because I continue to live the book of James and have been really living it uh, while this course has been going on, and even more so for the last three years, but I'll get into that in a little bit. <clears throat> um, I started several businesses over my career. I'm 58, and... Uh, most of it been in the insurance industry. I've been in it for 35 years. No one told me a 23-year-old young man couldn't go out and sell some insurance. So I did. And uh, it has it served me well until the government decided to get into health care. <laughs> and then all the rules changed. And they're still changing. And I don't know what they are. But uh, <clears throat> so I decided to do a few other things and uh, started a payroll business to provide benefits to employers back in 06. That went well, then the recession happened, and it didn't go well. A lot of people's business did not go well. Um, but God used that particular business, because during that period of time, I was not in church. Not that I didn't believe. I just didn't go to church. I couldn't find a church, and I didn't live here in Granbury, that the people, that the membership of the church was the church. There was a lot of really great pastors. There was a lot of really cold congregations. There were a lot of ritualized stuff. And um, so I just, I quit going. And uh, God has used that experience on that business that we started in 06, <clears throat> this last year plus, to get me back into a body of believers. And that's here at Generations Church, and I am very, very grateful for that. Because it, uh, it was a struggle without him. And it was so easy to fall into the, the book of James without being in a body of believers that it's, uh, I'll, uh, you know, it just, it's there and you don't even realize you, that it's there. It's like the color of your eyes. You just can't tell until you go look in the mirror and go, how did I get there? 
and you do. So, um, you know, I could go on and on, but I won't. Uh, Pastor asked me to, to teach on James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Uh, I gave everybody a handout. Uh, if you don't have one, Ephraim and I got some more up here. Uh, there, there are some. In addition to that, I'm going to ask that you pass those around. These I did not hand out a while ago. You pass those around. <coughs> I broke this up into two sections, uh, literally verses, the first, I mean, there's four verses, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, eh, that's five, but 13, 14 is literally um, the first verses, and we're going to talk about those first, and then we'll go into 15, 16, and 17. The... Um, A little bit of recap, since we've been gone for three weeks, is, you know, James is on worldliness. It is about the world. You know, and the beginning of the chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, is about the cause of why we wind up in the world. In 3 through 6, it <clears throat> is about the consequences of being in the world. And we're in the part, we're in the last part, of the cure of being in the world. How do we cure being in the world and not of the world. How do we not be of the world but be in the world? Probably a better way said. And I'm not even going to go into to five because that's not my lesson. That's pastor's choice of whoever is going to teach that, and I look forward to that. <coughs> um, so I'm going to ask that, uh, and I'll start over here on JD's side. I would like three people, one to read the King James Version on the first page, someone to read the New Living Translation, and someone to read the New American Standard. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get a gain. Whereas ye know not what ye shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanish away. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. And now you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So those are three different translations of the same scripture. <clears throat> I love the King James Version. I study it. But there's times that the other versions speak more like we talk today. Since yeah. I don't talk 15th century English. Um, and sometimes it's a little hard. This scripture, James, was writing to the Jewish businessman right there in Jerusalem. Now, all of us, I would assume, work somewhere or have a business. And, you know, it sounds like they're talking about going to another town, starting a business, and making some money. What's so evil about that? We do that. 
They're making plans. This is the beginning of the year. I don't know of a single business in the world that when a new year starts, they don't have a plan to go attack that year for their business. They probably spent a lot of hours in sessions and committee meetings about plans on how they're going to take their business and grow it and make it more profitable. And there's nothing evil about that. But what they are saying here is that we know what we're doing. We know what we're going to do. You know, the um, <clears throat> so that's what's occurring in the group. They're planning. They're wanting to go make a profit. And that's the answer to the first question on the little handout sheet that we just passed around. Their plan was what? To go make money. That was a very normal thing in business. Things haven't changed much in 2,000 years. The people haven't changed much in 2,000 years. They were in Jerusalem. We're here in Granbury. Is what they desired wrong? Yes? No? No? Maybe? Maybe not? We don't know what... We don't. All we know is their money motivation. We don't know their personal motivation for it or anything else. Their intent is the, the desire for, to make money, not the worship of money, but the desire to make money. Is that a sin? The desire to make money a sin? Mm-mm. No. God created money. As long as we don't worship it, it's not a sin. It's a useful tool. No different than a hammer or a screwdriver or a paintbrush or a car or a delivery truck or a typewriter. It's a tool. Money is. That's it. For the exchange of goods and services. So with with what we read there, what is their sin? Gives rise to the question. If making a plan is not a sin, and if wanting to make money is not a sin, what is their sin here? Any guesses? Assuming that they know what they're going to do tomorrow? Like saying that they're going to... Like they have a... That they're going to be more than a vapor? Basically. Yeah. Okay. That would be... Um, that would be one. The... Um, <coughs> Should they should they have known what the future held as business people planning to go make money somewhere and do a business? Should they have known what the future held? There's people who think that they should, but in God's world, the answer is no. Should they have known what the future held? In the business world, there's a lot of people that want to know what that future is going to be. There's a lot of people that depend on it. But in God's world, the answer is a very blunt no. From my faith, he says, you know, not to trust upon tomorrow, but live today. Trust today. For just like he feeds feeds the sparrows in the world. They don't worry about their food for tomorrow. They don't worry about their retirement plan. They live for today. And he provides for them. The sin is there's nothing about God here. There's nothing about God here. And they're Jews. 
in Jerusalem. The temple is still there. It hasn't been destroyed yet. This was written somewhere around 45 to 50 A.D. by James, the half-brother of Jesus. The temple wasn't destroyed yet. They were very aware of God's presence. It was the tallest building in town. You could not miss it from anywhere. If it had a clock on it, you'd have known what time it was, but you did anyway because they had sacrificed 9 o'clock, they had sacrificed 3 o'clock every day. You knew what was going on because the temple dictated everything, and you couldn't not see it. The sin. There is no God. We don't know why there's not a God, but there's not. So uh, let's go over to the next page. And um, starting here, going to the right, there are three more translations of the last, let's just do 15 and 16 of the first ones. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live, and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boasting, all such rejoicing is evil. What you ought to say is, if the Lord, or did you want me to say Yeah, the okay. second one. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise you are boasting about your own plans, and all such boasting is evil. Okay. Efren, I'll pick on you. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Wow. Before we go in depth, the last business I started back in 06, there was two guys and I. We started that. It was going to be easy. Really easy. It's almost like printing money. That's exactly what one of the guys said. Quote, unquote, it would be almost like printing money. Legally printing money. We did not invite God to participate. I never thought about it. Never occurred to me that we should sit down the three of us, and say, God, would you, is this what you want us to do? First of all, guidance. Will you bless it? Which he did, but he wasn't asked. It never occurred to us that we were being arrogant or boastful of our abilities, much like the Israelites at Mount Sinai. We can live up to the law. Give us the law. We can do it. We actually, our point of view was, we have talents. God gave us talents. He gave us the ability. We should, like the parable of the three servants, we should put that ability to, to good work. That's the reason why he gave us the ability, to go put it to work. But that's not, that's what we thought, but that's not what we did. We didn't invite God to participate in the plan or the running of the business. And it's not that any of us didn't believe. We did. We all believed. All three. And one by one, we were each taken out of the business until all three of us were gone. I've been gone for two and a half years now. And um, it, uh, it was, it was quite, a, quite a revelation to read this 
thinking about, you know, we have abilities. We could be a good cook. We could be a great chef. We could be, you know, a wonderful contractor and build buildings and houses. We'd be great orators, be a politician somewhere, or a motivational speaker. But without inviting God, we sin. Even when we market our own abilities to do stuff, we boast. Say how easy it is to fall back in that. Last week, I was talking with one of my salespeople over in Dallas. He's starting this this new marketing plan to to get more sales and stuff like that. And I had shared this with him. He used to work on my staff in Dallas back in the 90s. He worked on my staff for God, I've known him for over 20 years. And I shared with him how Dave, how James was revealing this stuff about me, and we're talking, and um, and we get ready. We he tells me about his plan, about his stuff, and all that kind of stuff. And I said, "That's great. That's wonderful." And I sin again. I don't even ask him if he wants to pray about it. Where's my witness? Even though I told him about the Book of James. Where was my witness at that moment? What was funny is, he's not a church-going believer. And he says, would you pray for me? And with me? And we did. But it, I mean, it just, that's how insidious the world gets in to where you just, I didn't think. I don't know if anyone else does that, but I didn't. And I mean, it was right there in my face, and then when he asked me, it was again in my face. It was like the, kind of like the smell of skunk. (laughs) You know you hit it. (laughs) There's no question. Didn't see it coming, and I got a, yeah, I had to go ask for forgiveness and and ask him for forgiveness because I should have been witnessing better. But obviously, there was some seed planted that he harvested, that he saw the need and it uh, it was quite revealing so the, the you know and, and where my my other note is because <clears throat> a couple of the other scriptures that go along with this is Proverbs 27 1 and that says boast not thyself of tomorrow for what thou knowest not what a day may bring forth we have no idea what's coming tomorrow Psalms 102.3, for my days are consumed like smoke and my bones are burned up as a hearth. We're gone. Maybe a hundred years, but no, hey, we're still gone. The clock's ticking. Acts 18.21, Paul says, if God wills, and he left and sailed for Ephesus. Because he didn't know if he was going to be back to Jerusalem. He just didn't know. But if God wills. And at this part, you know, not thinking about what I had done back in 06, 07. First Colossians 5, 6. Your glory is not my glory. Your glory is not good. 
Know ye not that a little leaven, which is impurity, impures the whole lump? I heard it said another way one time. If a guy's standing there with a white shirt on and gets just one spot, is it dirty? Even if it's so small you can't see it. How about a half of it gets shot with mud? It's dirty. The degree of which impure and, and dirtiness is there. And who knows? You, or does it matter if the world knows? Or is it just between you and God? Or me and God? After I got off the phone with my friend, we prayed for, for his new plan. I really had to go and repent and ask God to, uh, to show me and to uh, first to reveal to me my level of arrogance and boasting because, um, you know, it's just not to be prideful. But it, there are times, especially having been raised in a Marine Corps family, having been in the Marines for three and a half years, not to have pride in oneself. I mean, it is instilled in you. at the core, I mean, Even beyond where you don't even notice that you do it at times. And, it, uh, and that's, that's a good pride for what, it, what they're training you to do. It's, it's, it's a... It is a useful pride if used for God's work the way that God wants it used, because he can use it. It can be insidious when you become unconscious to it, and it becomes boastful and arrogant, because we, we don't know what, we, what we're not aware of. It's that blind spot. And the older I get, the bigger that spot seems to get. It doesn't get smaller for some reason. And... Uh, so anyway, the um, I'm going to ask: Is there anyone else that this scripture is speaking to that wants to share anything with the James Gang tonight? I've been doing all the talking and sharing. It's really quiet. Well, I'll uh, share just just a little bit. We, uh, me and my partner. Uh, I have, a, I have a small banking company, but back in 07 and 08, things were really good. We had 10, 11 people working for us, and uh, we I, it wasn't intentional, but it was, look what we had done. You know, and every once in a while we'd throw God into it, but <laughs> August 09 hit, and I mean, we went from 11 employees to... End of start of September, it was just me and my partner and my son. And uh, this this really brought forth the boasting of what we were going to be doing the next year and how plans to expand and came to reality that we had to trust God to even be able to get paid week to week. Anytime you, you think that you're that, God has a way of bringing things back to earth. And, you know, we, we have we we continually remind each other of August 2009, and uh, sticks with us, and we remember that. 
literature that pushes this, that concept, that five-year plan, that two-year plan. Uh, the stock market is based on estimates of what your company's going to do this year. And if you don't reach that, your stock price is going to get going to get hit. And that's so we we have a real cultural issue with this that makes it tough for Christians uh, or for anybody that's going to be in management because you have to project the future. Now, is there a way to do that and still be obedient to the scriptures? Yes. But it, we really have to, as, as J.P. found out in his own life, you, that well, most of us all go through that same painful experience in some way or another. I think a lot of it, to me, when I think about it, is like, you know, the sin is not in the planning. It's in the expectation that you know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, because, like, the Bible constantly talks about, you know, the parable of the sower, and it talks about, you know, the time harvest kind of thing. A farmer has to plan for the future. He has to go through the plowing of the field, sowing the seed in the field. He has to work through the steps and get prepared for that, otherwise he'll start. But at the same time, I think more than anybody else, they know, ultimately, they're relying on God for their harvest because... Um, you know, acts of God can destroy your crops, you know, um, you know, you, you rely on God and his mercy to bring through your harvest. And I think it's that planning, but also relying on God that God's looking for. Because at the same time, you know, it talks about in different verses of the Bible kind of being slothful or like the undiligent servant that, you know, kind of wastes just buried the money and didn't do anything with it. It's like God still wants us to um, work with him in terms of planning for our future, but at the same time we have to know that he's our source and we're not our own source. Yeah. I mean, he is the provider. Yes, yeah. Pastor. I think I think the whole arrogance thing is forgetting <clears throat> he's the source of the resources that you have right now. Mm-hmm. Forgetting that and attempting to do things based on God-given resources that you're taking credit for that you're going to do on your own. And inviting him into the scenario, you will, you, if you really invite him you in that season of prayer, you'll, you'll realize, you'll slow down enough to realize that there's blessings here, you know, with the connections, the relationships, the intelligence and knowledge, the revelation, whatever it is, leadership, and uh, even your forefathers that he led has brought you thus far, and you are asking him for more guidance. It's just There's just some humility there. Samson, I don't think, ever prayed in the scriptures until the end. <laughs> and he, his resources were this power that God came upon him. I don't know that he had big muscles. Just when the Spirit of God came on him, he could whip up, he could open up a can on everybody, you know. But, he did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he did. But in the end, he's humble. He invited God into the situation. And it was his end, but he he did he accomplished more there than ever. And then I'm reminded of the story of the rich, of the rich fool, the story, the parable. Soul, you have done well. You have done great. I'm going to build bigger barns. You know, not giving God credit for the blessing that he had, making making plans for more. And God said, "You fool, this is the end of your life. 
it's over. You're going to die tonight. What is all this for? Mm-hmm. So I think inviting God into the situation helps your perception to somehow connect what you're doing beyond yourself. But, you know, there, there's some mission that we're all a part of. And inviting him into the situation opens us up to his leadership and guidance. And uh, you, you mentioned the Marine Corps and the pride that they instill in you. Even in the Marines, you're submitted to authority. Yes, you are. <laughs> but sometimes, sometimes when we get out under authority, we, we don't quickly submit to God's authority, and we still get that pride, but we don't have that commander. So, anyway. Well, yeah, no, it's it's an excellent example, Alan. And, and the fact is, is that in God's world, it truly is surrendering, submitting to his authority, not to an authority authority imposed upon you or that you agreed to, that is right there in front of your face. Yeah. I know for a lot of people roughly around my generation, um, it's, it's more of a lack of faith and fear of what that kind of just makes us want to hold back. You know, like, okay, yeah, I want to know that God's going to be there for me and mm-hmm. plan it out and everything, but in the same token, you know, you're a little bit more withheld because, you know, you're afraid of what whatever that plan is is not going to be with what you want. <laughs> so, I have uh, a scripture that speaks right wow. to that. <laughs> That's, so true. That's so true. That's so true. It's, uh... <laughs> so it's like, if the Lord wills, but I hope whatever he wills is exactly what I'm asking for. Because if it's not, then I'm going to do what I want anyway. Mm-hmm. There, that's a that's a very arrogant statement, mm. and and boastful. I will do no matter. Even, like I said when I I was saved, I don't want to be told what to do, so I, I went in the Marines. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't go in as a grunt. I went in as an officer, <laughs> you know, and it. Uh, but you know, it, I was still told what to do, <laughs> and. Uh, even during, uh, <laughs> you know, and I built four businesses, literally from scratch, to taking them public on Wall Street. The last one, uh, as I said, I was taken out of. Um, we got it public in 2010. Seven months later, I was out and could not sell my stock. <laughs> and the people who took over the company and the board promptly got the company delisted, but no one could sell their stock. And they um and they're doing whatever they're doing with it. And it's uh but God will put you in a place to get your attention and to realize who has the authority. I'm gonna read verse seventeen. And I like the actually the New American Standard Bible version the best. It says, Therefore, no one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is a sin. We all know that we should submit to God if we have accepted his salvation. And I even talk to people who are not saved, and their thing is, I don't want to submit to God. But they know too. And they're just not willing to do it as yet. It, um, and I don't know how, I mean, I really don't know how I 
forget to submit to God on a daily basis in my conversations I have. And it's uh, and it's fun. I'm going to read that. Uh, I'm going to read Luke 12:47. Nice. This is going to be the New Living Translation. It's not on your sheet. It says the servant will be severely punished for if he knows his duty and he refuses to do it. How arrogant of the servant to refuse to do his duty. When he knows what it is. And the master's coming. I mean, the, the verse right after that talks about the servant that doesn't know what his duty is and he will be punished a little, but the one that knows will be punished a lot mm-hmm. because he knew and he didn't do. And I, I, I can relate to that because I forget and I, there are days that I really wonder if I got my duty done to God that day. And, uh, you know, I would highly recommend for anyone that does not know what their purpose is in God's plan to really search for God, to find your plan, because he has one for each of us. And most of us have no idea what it is. Most of us do a lot of our life, and we have no idea. It's not like we're called to be a preacher or called to be Billy Graham, an evangelist, or called to be a missionary. You know, there is, uh, you could be called to be a business guy. You could be called to be an employee of a business and never get to be the owner. You could be called to be a farmer. My father-in-law was. He was a great farmer. But that was what he was. And, you know, and he loved God, and it was very obvious. But it, uh, but if you don't know, really highly recommend that you search God to find out what that plan is. And not that, not that you'll know the plan, because in this scripture, it tells us, not tomorrow. Tomorrow's a vapor. Just to know what just to know what you're supposed to do. Not the details of it. Not the twenty year, five year plan, the three month quarterly plan before the next, you know, the analyst, stock analyst evaluate your stock and want to know if you hit your price point earnings or anything like that. But do you know what he actually wants you to do? And I'll give you two two tips. One of them is real easy to know what, what he wants us to do. It's right in the four Gospels to tell people about Christ every day. Just tell them. It doesn't say you have to win their soul. You don't do it anyway. The Holy Spirit does. There are people who are saved by the Holy Spirit that no one has ever talked to. They would never, they're not ever going to talk to a Christian. But they're going to be saved by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit moves over the entire world, whether we're there or not. You know, Saul was not a saved man. He was actually, you know, killing people who believed in Christ. And he had an encounter that revealed to him what he was doing and who he was doing it to. And it could be said that he was very prideful. Because he was good at what he did. And he became 
the best weapon Christ used. This wrote 75% of the New Testament. You know, God used him. All that learning he had, everything else. And the more you go from the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry, all the way through, he became more and more and more humble until the end. And he says, you know, not my will, thy will. If God wills, I will be back. I'd love to come back. But I don't know God's will. I just know what he's using me for. And with that, um, it's open for debate. And back to you, Pastor. Any more any more questions or input before we go to the conference line? Thank you for the opportunity. I I appreciate it very, very much. I hope it was a contribution to everyone. Yeah. I appreciate the personal personal illustration helps drive it home. That's powerful. Hey man, you got anything to add or ask? I know who all's on here. Just Hal. Anybody else there? Yeah, this is Steve. It was a really good lesson. Good. So you have any input or questions? No, it was a pretty good lesson. It's just uh kinda let it process a little bit. Okay. That's good. <laughs> That's good. Not my will but time be done. I mean even the Savior prayed that one. Yeah. Wow. How? Anything? Oh, it was just interesting to you know, to hear it from from another angle again. I mean, I really like the fact that we keep hearing someone else's thoughts about what the word says. I mean, it's just it's very good. It's it's thought inspiring and it just keeps reminding me, you know, God's will first. <laughs>